another episode of Crunch Time. I'm Joe Hamilton alongside Theo the Juggernaut. Theo, how you doing? First of all, before you answer that, I still can't get over the fact that you're uh, one fingering a uh, <laughs> a uh, a barbell. That's hilarious. Um, you like that stuff? I still like that. I, I will never get over how funny that is. I mean, I know you awesome. lift a little bit, but I mean, come on now, man. Just You're just showing bit. off there. Yeah. Well, I was, I've never been that svelte either. I've never been looking like I weigh 140 pounds. I think I did that when I was maybe eight or nine years old, but that's a whole time, a whole long time away ago. <laughs> come on, Theo. You're not that old, man. I know. My son thinks I'm that old. He should just, I should bring, show you the birthday card he wrote me last week. It's quite funny. Uh, happy 43th birthday. 43? You're 43? Man, you've been on this earth a long time. I was like, thanks, buddy. <laughs> I mean, that does give you some experience, right? Oh, just a, just a little bit, right? Exactly. So, I kind of want to get into something I kind of just stumbled upon. I can't believe I just stumbled upon it, but then again, it's not very big yet. It will get there. Uh, three ice. It's a three-on-three. Basically, they tour a certain part of the country. They will get bigger, and they will tour more places. It's just um, all of these – how do I say this? All of these uh, former NHLers are coaching these teams. And, Theo, like when you first heard of the idea of three ice becoming a thing, what was your thought on it? I looked at the, you know, the guys that are back in this, and it reminds me a lot of what Ice Cube did with three-on-three basketball. And quite frankly, I think it's fantastic. You're giving, you know, a set of players who, you know, like to show off their skills, their personal skills, being a three-on-three as opposed to a five-on-five game. And they're giving them a second life or a third life, if you will, into a sport they love. And it's exciting. I mean, we've seen how the all-star game and their format of three on three has gone and changed the dynamic of what an all-star game is. Cause let's be honest, all-star games, you know, aren't are a spectacle They're That's what they are. They're a spectacle. So during the summer months, why not bring that spectacle to an audience each weekend and have a tournament? And Hey, you know, if it's working for ice cube, then why wouldn't it work for the hockey, uh, environment the hockey audience and i think it's quite cool if it's two eight periods eight minute periods it's three on three there's no power there's no uh overtime uh it's a playoff format for the weekend they tour i think up until mid-august this year they're in tennessee this upcoming weekend uh you know it's exciting and it's and it's people in old players in that you know slightly east coast region like pa tennessee just east of Missouri, uh, you've got Guy Carbono, Guy Carbono involved. You've got Craig Patrick. You've got, you know, big names that are, you know, repping this product. And I think it's very cool to see. And I think it's only going to catch on because, it, like I said, it. we always talk about the dog days of summer. And quite frankly, what is there to watch besides or get excited about besides a baseball or a NASCAR race on the weekend, WNBA, and I don't even think I think soccer is just starting up here at the beginning of August in the EPL and it's still playing in the MLS but of the big four only one of them is playing right now 
maybe two if you call a big five of the MLS. So it's an off season that gives you an opportunity to still be excited to watch some hockey. I like it. I think it's cool. Well, I like to see it head north of the border. Absolutely. Well, it's in North versus South, you know, Rocky four scenario between the USA and mother Russia. Sure. Let's try to do something like that. It could be cool. And let's see where this takes off in the next couple of years. Uh, I think it'd be kind of cool. And like you said, it's starting to get a bit of attraction with CBS sports, you know, their network holding onto it. So, Hey, let's give it some more. Let's give it a little bit of time and uh, let's see if it can become bigger. They were in New Jersey this weekend and, or this week. And Ken Danico, they had him in the booth. Steve Mears, formerly of the NHL Network, calling these games, which I, I, I loved Steve Mears to begin with. But uh, Ken Danico, I always loved his voice. He always looks like, he always sounds like somebody that could beat somebody up at any, any moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he was a mean um, guy. Yeah, he still looks like a mean guy. Probably still could be a mean guy. I mean, if you got him in a beer league, could probably knock some heads, uh, or, or make some heads roll, you know. For sure, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, I at three ice. Um, when did this start? I think it started in the last couple of years, just with you know Craig Patrick and his son, I think it is, and a couple of guys that are retired NHLers, Hall of Famers. Larry Murphy's involved. Guy Carbono, like I said, uh, there's some big names here. Yeah. I mean, I think they just, you know, they got together and they said, hey, let's give this a shot. Let's try to draw some, uh, let's get some fan base involved with a little bit of player action and let's make a go of this. And I mean, it's a, the format is great because it's not massive travel uh, on a weekly basis. It's a weekend here. It's a weekend there. It's five or six weekends in total. Uh, the guys can still have their day jobs if they have them or have family time. And they get to go do something they love in a city that they probably have been in, not been in in a while, and play some hockey. You know, and, and maybe just to get these guys some notoriety because I mean, I saw some of the goaltending. I mean, if you're going to be a goaltender in in that league, you, you you better have some balls, and you better do it the right way. And they had Brodeur's son in there. He wasn't exactly Martin Brodeur. I mean, let's be honest here. But there was one goaltender in particular. I, I forget his first name, last name Bednard. This dude was making saves, like yeah. unbelievable saves. Like there was one glove save at the end of the game that I don't think half the goalies in the NHL make. I mean, you, know, I, you, you can't fake goaltending at any level because you fake goaltending unless it's a beer league. You're going to get treated like crap by not only your teammates but by the league. And like you said, you mentioned Broder's son. Broder's son's an interesting character because he was drafted quite high in the NHL, played a little bit in the queue, and then he went to go play CIS hockey at University of Ottawa, which is university hockey. And then he played some, you know, semi-pro hockey. Never made it to the NHL, but, you know, has all the skills and abilities to play in a league like this. And it just gives him, like you said, not notoriety, but just a little bit of exposure to be, hey, you know what? Maybe these guys, you know, maybe Toronto should be calling Bednard because it's a whole lot better than having the guy that's, you know, cleaning the ice as your backup. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, he did sh yeah, he did uh, shut out Toronto. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We, we, 
We didn't touch on that a lot, but that, that that's funny to think about. I mean, I'm I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan outside of the Blues, and that that was just awful. Like, come Winnipeg on, now. had it happen to them with the Chicago goalie too. It was awful. So, speaking of Winnipeg, they did uh, sign Gabriel Velarde to a two year six point. I think it was six point five million dollar deal, something like that. What do you think of that signing? You know, it's it's a good deal for I mean, not only did they sign Velarde, but they also signed Morgan Barron this past week. Uh two years at one point three five, I think, AAV. Those are two grinder kind of guys. You know, those are heart and soul kind of guys. Uh Velarde obviously part of that trade with PLD, but you're looking for him to be one of those bigger assets, middle six forward guy that's gonna provide for the team. I mean, like I said last year with the Kings. I think he put up 43, 46 points. Uh, you know, he's going to be a bit of a grinder, a bit of a heart guy, a bit of a strength guy, a bit of a sandpaper to him as well. And I think he's looking forward to putting on that Jets jersey that allows him to have a little more of a place, a little more value within an organization. Because I think what Winnipeg needs now more than ever is that blue-collar, sandpaper, hardcore group of guys that want to come to the rink. And I mean, and I'm going to stress, they want to come to the rink. Uh, Nito Niederreiter had the same comments made this past week with Winnipeg Jets and with the uh, the media here in Winnipeg about how, you know, as much as Winnipeg gets a bad rap from a lot of the other town out of towners, it's actually a really good place to play. The amenities here, the people here, the staff here, the organization really does do a good job. And by writing the ship in the locker room, I think will provide more of an asset for all of these players to feel like they are being part of something and maybe make this ship move forward. Well, I think the, I no, I do only, I'm, I'm going to stop you there because you were saying not even not, uh, that long ago that nobody wants to play in Winnipeg. Now you're saying it's a great organization, great amenities where a couple months ago, you're like, uh, no one wants to play here. No right. and that's, well, and that's the how do you change? How does that change? That's the perspective. You know, when you have um, – and the offseason changes it, absolutely. I mean, when you look at Winnipeg, and if you are living in Winnipeg, the summer is different than the winter, hands down. Uh, cabin life, cottage life, the outdoors, there's lots to see and do. I mean, obviously it's not like Calgary, not like Vancouver or whatever, but the bottom line is you're not – in the spectacle all the time in Winnipeg, which is nice for a lot of players. When they get to that big, huge market, they get scrutinized about everything and anything. Um, secondly, it's who's telling the story. I mean, the NHL and professional sports and what they do in the off ice area, off ice time has changed drastically. There are more cameras. There are more eyes on you. And Joe, you can agree with me on this if you want about how much is seen by the public when a team goes out on an, you know, an adventure or a couple of players hit up the bar or a couple of players get into some dirty work. Just ask Alex Galchenyuk what happened to his life when he got traded to Arizona. Um, you know, we won't get into that too much, but the bottom line is, yeah, that's not. It's, the, it's the perspective of how that story is being told. And for players that play within an organization, they have to like it. They have to be attracted to it. They have to be feeling like they're part of something. 
Whereas if you want to badmouth it, well, you're badmouthing it because you're not playing for the team or quite frankly, you just couldn't get your, well, I'm not going to say it, but you couldn't, you couldn't enjoy the outside world of the hockey rink as much as you'd want to based on other cities you visited on a road trip. Let's just say it that way. Yeah. I, I just, I just don't understand how it got so toxic in that room. And what, how is one offseason really going to fix that, Theo? I mean, it, can you really say one offseason can fix that? I, I don't think so. I think it's going to take a few years. Well, I'm, not gonna, gonna, I'm, I'm not saying they're not going to hold on. I'm not saying they're not going to be competitive. I'm not saying that at all because we saw what happened last year. But at the same time, Theo, the, the, you can't if you don't fix the locker room, you're never going to be fully competitive. You're never going to be that team that people look at and say, hey, I fear this team. You're never going to be believable. So I think it's going to take a few years. So, um, Well, remember it happened. It started two years ago. It didn't happen this offseason. It happened last offseason. And, you know, all the different rumblings and all the different interpretations of what he said versus what was said in exit interviews to – a coach leaving to a new coach coming in to uh, having an interim coach who was a dad of a son who's playing on the team, uh, making the playoffs barely this year, ridding two of your four big names yet to get rid, according to media. Um, you know, the, all of those things happen while you're still maintaining a young core. And I'm not going to use the word resilience. I'm not going to use the word avenge. But, you know, it's part of it's part and parcel that it shows that the organization is committed to its younger talent core and is committed to the fact that we are still bringing an exciting product to the ice. And they've just accentuated that by building really good talent surrounded by really good, hardworking players that want to play hockey. That's what it comes down to. I mean, we aren't. As if you looked around the league, Joe, and if you look at all the top 15, 16 teams, there are certain builds that occur that have the same common denominators. Winnipeg has some of those pieces still. You look at the bottom 16 teams and what they don't have and what Winnipeg does. And that's where Winnipeg is separated from being, you know, in the bottom 15, not being in the top 10, but somewhere in the middle still. As bad as it's going to sound what I'm about to say, Winnipeg fans want to see a winning product. They are a Homer style of audience. When Winnipeg does well and they perform well and the organization does well, then tickets are going to be sold. Um, obviously, there was a bit of an issue with Winnipeg and the ownership group with True North. This is the first time in 12 years they've had to put a season ticket campaign together because the product just hasn't been as exciting as it once was. And that Winnipeg is, is that not selling point. love. They're what just is that selling point? The selling point has to be the excitement. You know, the, the selling point has to be players that want to play for your team. You know, as much as Blake Wheeler does things off the ice, it doesn't compute to the same energy on the ice. When Pierre-Luc Dubois goes in his hissy fit after two years playing somewhere that he doesn't want to play anymore, there it goes. 
as bad as it sounds on the Patrick Line deal, Patrick Line wanted to win. He wants to do well. He wants to be the best. But that clashed with the old locker room. So you felt the better trade was to get rid of him and get PLD in the mix. Where is Jack Roslovich now? He's still a bottom six forward. He's not. He hasn't become anything in a top three. Uh, Patrick Laine is now going to play with Johnny Goudreau in Columbus for a whole year. Hopefully they get both stay healthy. We'll see how that goes in Columbus. And I think Winnipeg is just still on the course to be one of those teams that you know can be a bit of an enigma. And I think that they have a lot more good going on at the beginning of or the end of July as they did last year. And I think that there's a different energy. There's a different mentality to these players because of their head coaching group, because of the players they've traded for, and because of the opportunity of some of these young players to finally start cracking the lineup. I think that is where we're starting to see the trend and the, the movement because you're seeing players like Kyle Connor, Josh Morrissey, uh, those two guys in particular, I think, are going to make large strides this year and become more influential on the ice as well as off the ice. Yeah, so um, I'm excited to see the Jets actually. I, when the Jets are good, it makes Blues Jets games even better to go to. You know, I I, I seem to go to more of, the, more of those games now because I'm working with you. You know, just to, when we do these shows – we can go back and forth on these things. So anytime the Jets and the Blues are both good, which I think the Blues will be better this year, and I think they will contend for a wild card spot. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win a division, not, nothing like that. Top, they could be top three. But if you contend for a playoff spot like the Blues should be and like Winnipeg should be, it, it makes for fun hockey. I've seen some chippiness in those games too, so – I cannot. I can't wait till the NHL season starts, man. I, I, I'm so ready for this. I'm so ready for this because of the way the Blues ended but last the season. Yeah. Hey. Meantime, I get three ice. I get that. Yes. Um. You know, you still got some big free agents on the uh, block. You have Vladimir Tarasenko, who still hasn't signed a contract yet. We talked about this last week, Theo. There's a chance he only takes a one-year deal. I mean, there's a chance he gets a two- or three-year deal for like from like Carolina, Dallas, maybe Nashville, um, Ottawa. I mean, but he changed. Um, he changed. Um, how, how do I say this? He, he changed. I guess perspective on. On agents because he he changes agency, and does that mean he wasn't getting the money he thought he was, or is that just you know idealism between him and the other agent that didn't go well? Because that happened real quick. I mean, that still happened when he was as he was hitting free agency. Usually, you want to have your agent kind of locked up before free agency. You don't want a Lamar Jackson scenario to go go on. You know, where you don't have an agent, but I don't know, Theo. What do you think of the whole Tarasenko agent thing? It, it, that never seemed never seemed right to me. Well, I think it's it leads into a lot of what we are now seeing as the change of power between um, agencies, organizations versus players. 
And I think we're seeing players of every sport feel like they are not only entitled to, but should be given more of a say, more of what they feel they are, you know, granted or should be owed. And that's where it clashes big time with the middle person being the agent and the organization that says, look, we're not paying you that much. I mean, if Tarasenko's thinking he's going to get a three, four-year deal at four or five AAV per year, look at how many teams are available right now to offer that. There are four teams that are above $5 million and still have players to sign before going above the salary cap. That yeah, means and that's where I was going with that, Leo. I mean... So yeah, they, yeah. I mean, Carolina. Say, okay, you just, Vlad, this is your new agency. Vlad, you decided to go with a new agent. Let's be freaking honest with each other here. Okay, you went to New York. You got ousted by the Devils in the first round. Your play during the playoffs did not help your asset value whatsoever. And we're not going to go back in time to talk about St. Louis days because that's back in time. Yes, you won the Stanley Cup. Yes, you were had a soldier and shoulder injury. Yes, that wasn't handled properly according to you. Yes, it shows how you feud with the organization, with the team doctors. Now, let's look at what's positive here, Vlad. I'm still looking. Still looking. Joe, did you find it? Because there's nothing. <laughs> Because here's the thing. There's nothing. It's not a what have you done for me the lately. The run dry. He's going to have to. It's not a what have you done for me in the past. It's what are you going to do for me now. And right now, you look at players like Blake Wheeler who put up better numbers than Vlad. You look at players that are signing 775, 800,000 contracts for a year with a bonus package that might get them a couple hundred K more. That is what the value of Vladimir Tarasenko is right now. It is not $6 million. And until he comes into realization of it, he's going to sit on the side. And everybody's okay with that. Except Vlad and his agent, because his agent get paid a percentage. Owners don't look at him as a $3 million asset anymore, $4 million asset anymore. They look at him as a $700,000 12 minutes a game player that we might put out there maybe second or third line and certainly a power play. And let's hope his shoulder can last. I'm just saying. I mean, Tarasenko only had 18 goals last season split between the Blues and Rangers. Is there a decline there? Big time, big time decline. You I hate to see it because he's not that old yet. He, uh, Theo, he's not that old yet, Theo. I mean, what what is considered old in the NHL? Before we move on, what is considered old as in the NHL? Go ahead. I think that goes by position. I think, it, and I'm, I'm going to say it differently. I'm going to say it by games played. Because if you get well, over okay, 700 forward. games played, you're considered veteran. You get 700 games under your belt, you're pushing your, your limits here. You're, and you get up to 900, you're a bit of a workhorse. And you get above 1,000, you get the silver stick. Okay, you know what? You, you've done your time. You've done your dues. But anywhere between six and 700 games, that's the push for, you know, elite ship. 
of being considered a solid veteran in the NHL. Age-wise, I can't put an age on it because, I mean, some guys will come in 25, 26, hit their space, you know, playing 80, 82 games a year. They'll be a workhorse, of course. Then you get guys that show up at 21, 22, and they'll play a decade, and you say they're retired at 32, you know. But by games played, mm. if you looked at the stats, if Vlad played between six and 700, he's kind of on his way down. And you can't expect him to put a 30-goal season up very soon. You can't. You can't, no. And it's sad to see because he, I mean, he still is my one of my favorite players in the NHL. Um, I probably would have liked him no matter what team he went to, like, was drafted to because I like goal scoring. And I wish I was alive when Gretzky played, to be honest with you. I, I wish I was able to see Gretzky in his prime. But he was sick. That, that was as close to, yeah, yeah, that was as close to me to a goal scorer that I'm ever going to get. That, that's as close as I'm going to get. Brett at least from a blue a standpoint. I wasn't alive when well yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't in hockey as much then. You know what I mean? I was I was a little kid, Theo, when he left. You know, it's it's not like I was able to see that live. So I, I don't have that knowledge of seeing a goal scorer. But when Tarasenko was here, that's that was my and okay, I'm not comparing the player. I'm just saying in terms of popularity, in terms of scoring goals, Vladimir Tarasenko is my bread hole. Vladimir Tarasenko. And now we got Thomas and Cairo. Stat line on Tarasenko 675 games played, 270 goals, 304 assists, 574 points, and a plus 61. That is his stat good line numbers. for his career. So he's almost at 700. Again, those are damn good numbers. You know, I mean, I'd, he's, he's over the plus minus. So I I think a plus minus, that people say it doesn't mean much. But when you're a player like Vladimir Tarasenko, it does. Because more often than not, you're involved in scoring goals and assisting in goals. The biggest problem with Tarasenko in the playoffs, especially, was his defense. He was not a 200-foot player in the playoffs. That's what Ranger fans hated about him. So uh, we could talk about this all day, but we got some other stuff to touch on here, including, including Theo, the Major League Baseball trade deadline. And and the biggest thing with that is I'm gonna go Toronto first because if you are if you are a team that thought you were way out of it in the AL East before now Toronto has a one game lead over um, over Baltimore I think what I think what my father told me I think it was three or four game lead over Toronto. Okay. And Toronto could easily win this division. I even said they were going to win this division, which I'm still staying with that. What does Toronto need in your mind to solidify themselves as legit contenders for that division? No, what, what do they need? Theo? They, they need something else, right? 
Okay, so they got Alex Manoa back right after the the All-Star game. Uh, he's had one really solid outing, one not-so-solid outing, this past one in San Diego. Gaussman is a little bit injured right now with a left-side oblique injury. They don't know if he's going to go in Seattle. He's day-to-day. You got Chris Bass. And, he's and those, right wait, now those can linger. San Diego. Pardon me? Mm-hmm. And but those can linger. Solid guys at those oblique injuries? Just, yeah, they, they're just a bit of a side pull, they said. The MRI came back negative, whatever that means. You don't need an MRI to do a freaking – yeah. Anyway, I'll leave it alone. The bottom line is the pitching, I think, needs to be healthy and solid. You need Vlad Guerrero Jr. to hit, start hitting bombs like he did in the All-Star game for the home run derby. And, you know, you've got a very good, very good supporting cast at the plate with Bichette, Biggio, Springer – Teoscar, all those guys are fantastic bats, but you need to know, and it's, and also their fielding is pretty top notch. They got some fast guys in the field. They don't need much; they need health. And I know there was a rumor going around about uh, what's his face uh, from San Diego that they're playing right now, Nelson Cruz of all people, who's my age. I thought he was long done. He carries a $12 million pop at a 225 batting average right now. You don't need that type of guy unless you feel that he's going to be some sort of superhero that he has shown in the past in the, in the playoffs. But the Jays have to get there first. And I think there's other prospects out there who I don't know. I'll find that out before the deadline happens in our next show. But I'll put a list together of who might be a better trade than Nelson Cruz. Because I don't think Nelson Cruz is the fit. Um, you just need these guys to start hitting the ball. You need to be healthy on the mound, which they think they're going to get. August is going to come quick, and I think they're going to start putting some wins together. But yeah, you know, they're staying the course. The course is steady. This is the Turtles making their way to the finish line as opposed to waiting in the sidelines like the hares were rushing there in April and May. A little different scenario compared to your St. Louis yeah. Cardinals. Well, and the Cardinals, that, that brings me into my next topic here. The St. Louis Cardinals have been playing some good baseball lately. Have won like six of eight or seven of their last nine. They've won five in a row. They just came off a 5-1 and homestand. I mean, look, I'm not saying become buyers at the deadline. The Cardinals need pitching. If that means trading one of your young guys, young outfielders that you have, that means you trade one of those young outfielders. And now that the Cardinals are saying that with Tyler O'Neill being activated today, that Dylan Carlson's going to be a fourth outfielder, Dylan Carlson, with his defense alone, can bring you back something. I don't know what that something's going to be. If yeah. you if you package him with a Jack Flaherty, that can bring you back a good pitcher. That can that can bring you back certainly a good pitcher in my mind. You know, there's also talk of Tommy Edmond being traded. Um, you know, the the guys that are untouchable and Walker. Okay. And those those are honestly your only untouchables. 
because there's a lot of value on this team that can bring you back super value in terms of 2024 and beyond. The Cardinals are focusing more on 2024 right now. Not saying they're bombing on this season, okay? Because they can certainly get back into this trash division. Yes, I said it. I'm not trying to say it for shock value. I'm being totally honest here, okay? So, what they do at the deadline is going to determine 2024, 2025, 2026. I'd like to go after one of those guys from um, uh, Seattle. Rather it be George Kirby, uh, rather it be Wu, rather it be somebody else. They need pitching, and they 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 haven't had an ace. You know, I, I'm going to ask you, Theo. He was in the AL East before. What can a guy like Jordan Montgomery get you back? And that's. And that goes back to the comments I made earlier, Joe, about what are you going to do for me today and the future versus what have you shown me? And the ideas of a contract are changing. They're evolving. And unfortunately, they're not a performance-proven contract, rather. it's a Or they are a performance-proven contract, not a performance... Uh, not a performance... Uh, allotted contract, what I'll say it that way. Because it's you know you're getting your base, but you're not getting the incentive contract to it. And Montgomery is one of those guys that you know has shown that he can be decent. I mean, like we've said in the last show, he had a string of three games where he had 22 runs scored against him, and then the rest of his games he's played, he's only had 24 runs scored against him. So I mean, he's got glimpses of great you know pitching, but then he has glimpses of the Sandlot, and it's like, what are we doing here? You know, and that's where I think you looked. We looked at those three pitches we mentioned last show, and all of them are unrestricted or are going to become types of free agents at the end of this season. Do you move those three or part of those three without touching Arenado and Goldie? I mean, Gorman's untouchable. O'Neill might be untouchable. Yes. Uh, add those yes, to the list. Yes, because they've already said. Look, you don't trade your core, okay? This is not a team that's far off. This is not a team that uh, needs a full rebuild at all. This is a team that can retool on the fly, and what they really need is starting pitching, and they need a bullpen arm. They they desperately need bullpen help, which signing Ryan Tapera could, could, and I say could because he wasn't good for your Angels at all this this season. Coming in to when he was uh, signed in St. Louis, he had an ERA of over seven. It's not going to cut it in the big leagues. But maybe this is a new start for him. I don't think St. Louis gets rid of a lot at the deadline. I don't think St. Louis would be smart to get rid of a lot at the deadline. This is a team that we expected them to be 54 and 38, not 38 and 54. Would you agree with me? So, I mean, they're, what they're showing I would agree. on the field yeah. isn't what they're showing on paper. So, no. I mean, like you said, they're not far off. Maybe this is a blip in the season. They did not turn it around, like we said they needed to do at the beginning of June. And I think they've just run the course. 
and they start preparing for next year and the year after that. Yeah, and and John Mosellock, I, I actually feel I will send you that full video. John Mosellock was on a media, uh, what had a media availability. I will send you that. And I will post it on my social media. Those listening have my social media. If not, um, uh, you will get it sooner or later. Or there will be a new page made. Who knows? Who knows? But what I'm saying is the focus on, is on 2024. And he basically came out and said, John Mosellock did, came out and said, if the focus is on 2026, that's too long. So this isn't a rebuild. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the Cardinals do in this deadline. And as we get closer, we'll get more and more rumors to talk about. That is for sure. Theo, you wanted to bring up, um, before we get out of here, actually, I think it's part of your theory, um, about running back lifespans. And I'm just going to let you have the floor here. I think the common theme of today's show has been, uh, the, common phrase of show me what you're worth now, not what you show me what you've done in the past. And I, Travis Henry has come out and made some fantastic comments as well as uh, Saquon Barkley and other running backs, Todd Gurley, for example, the running back position and its value to the NFL play NFL teams has been significantly misconstrued to the point that we are now seeing the position being not just a one-back system, but a two, potentially three-back, almost wildcat-style performance. And I say that because outside of the top five running backs, and I will include players like Josh Jacobs, who still hasn't signed his tender, Saquon Barkley, who did not get offered anything on Monday and has not signed his tender and potentially may not show up for the Giants. Travis Henry, who has signed, who has shown that he's still durable, but at the same time has had over 300 attempts in the last two or three years combined, or each season. Then I'll throw out there players that have been there in the past. Todd Gurley, for one, uh, who has been absolutely riddled with injury because of his overplay. I'll throw in Christian McCaffrey, who is a different hybrid of a running back, who is still under contract with the San Francisco 49ers, of course. The bottom line is how a team values its running back position is instrumental to how well that team can and will go as an offense. We all know that the offensive line is the most important part of controlling time of possession, protection of the quarterback, which is still QB one position, but as well as moving and playing for the running back options whether it be dives, tosses, sweeps, whatever you want to call it, spider wide, two banana, bootleg, fake it, you name it. The bottom line is the running back isn't as valued as it once was. I'm not going to get into contracts with Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott or Josh Jacobs. The bottom line is if a team manager or a team owner comes out and says that, yes, we need to make this a – concern we need to make this a priority to sign this person and then your coaching staff says yeah we can just plug and play this and deal with that later as long as we have our quarterback signed we're good well that's not how it worked and unfortunately for some teams like 
the Las Vegas Raiders, who had the number one rusher last year. They have they had the number one wide receiver last year, and they potentially had a top five tight end last year. Couldn't perform on the offensive side whatsoever. New York Football Giants went nine seven and one last year, best uh, offensive record or best record period in the last decade. First time they were above 500 since 2016. They've committed to their quarterback, who has only thrown 15 TDs last year. But their offense ran through their running back. Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback, who now has also signed our boy DeAndre Hopkins from Arizona. Now, that recipe has been seen in Las Vegas and did not work. That recipe has been seen in uh, Arizona and it did not work. And the recipe has been seen in what other city? Let's throw out Chicago. Like all the bottom feeders aren't using or revaluing their running back the way they're supposed to. Running backs do three things really well: they run the ball, they protect their quarterback, and they have and blocking schemes. And they are also a great outlet for your quarterback in dire need. Saquon Barkley does all of that. Josh Jacobs does all of that. Yet both of those players sit without contracts or without signing a tender for a uh, franchise tag. By this franchise tag scenario has screwed up the value of the running back. And is not value what a running back deserves or needs uh, in the NFL these days. And I think it's because I think uh, we're not going to more of a throwing we're going to more of a throwing league. And I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think that's truly a value and truly helping the value of a running back. I just think running backs should be more valued. Well, if that's if the I'm case, Theo, back, before we get out of here, this is my running back. Go to the defensive side of the ball. You'll play extra time. Exactly. You're built like a linebacker. Do it up that way. Defensive back. Do it up that way. So, and that that's a very good point. Well, if if it is going to be a throwing uh, throwing league, then why don't you use your running backs as a receiver? You know, why, why don't you do more screens? Why don't you? Because here's the thing. It affects everybody. The franchise tag affects everybody. So are you saying if it's a throwing league that it's devaluing quarterbacks too? No, quarterbacks can, can you are getting sit here? Can you sit here and tell me it only affects running backs? I can yeah, say but I'm talking about because there's certain quarterback. quarterbacks. I can. I will. I will say that in due time, a quarterback gets paid outrageously outrageously just compared to what a running back does for that team think about what a quarterback has to do they have to evade protect evade pass rushers they have to know how to snap the ball on time they get fed every single play through a microphone they have to know their playbook and they're able to throw the ball. Well, a running back doesn't have the feed in their helmet. A running back has to think on split decision-making and which guy to pick up and which guy not to pick up. They have to be able to count and say, okay, my quarterback's in trouble, become an outlet. They have to run the ball and hold on to the ball and not fumble the ball really well. 
and they're basically a character player on the offense no matter what. Wide receivers get paid. Offensive linemen get paid. Quarterbacks get paid. The fact that Zach, what's his name for Dallas, this is, is sitting out right now, my old Notre Dame buy because I'm wearing the hat, because Zach Martin is getting paid $7 million less than the highest paid offensive lineman right now in the NFL. Yet he has been a perennial Pro Bowl player. Ever since he cracked the league, he's made the Pro Bowl. So outside of his injury year. Zach Martin is not getting paid. Zeke Elliott's not getting paid. Yet you've paid Dak Prescott. You've paid CeeDee Lamb. Congratulations, Dallas. You're going to finish behind Philadelphia yet again. And you're trusting Pollard. You forgot one player. You forgot one player, Theo. Lamar? You forgot one player, and that has to be um, Tony Pollard. I said Pollard. He's he's getting paid. And they're replacing Pollard for less money than they are keeping but, both okay, him and Elliott. So and you're Matthew. paying Pollard, but you're not paying. That makes no sense to me. But, hey, we could, we could go on for how these running backs do not get paid what they should be. Yeah, the, the running back fabric has changed in the last five years considerably. And it's devalued that position to the point that, like I said at the end of my rant, if you are a 13 or a 12-year-old player and you're running the ball because you want to have the offense, Micah Parsons is going to play longer in this league as a linebacker as opposed to playing a running back body. Simply put. Wow. Wow. So, uh, Theo, you got anything else before we get out of here today? I think that's pretty good right there. Uh, open championship this weekend coming up, so it should be kind of fun to watch that. And, uh, I mean, Rory's back at the course. He won back at 12 or 14, I think, so he's got the high odds. We'll see what happens. I may watch some, but I may not. I may be on a boat. Well, the thing is, you'll you'll have to get up. You'll have to get up really early. I mean, you'll have to wake up super early to watch uh, the British the the Open. That's for sure. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. For CEO, I'm Joe. We will see you guys next week. As always, have a great weekend, everybody.